0: this past wednesday this past wednesday i came across a single car wreck on us68 uh, one car had gone off the road it was a teen driver it was raining and uh, he lucked out everybody was okay probably about a thousand dollars damage to the car the wheel and the rim were toast but they were all standing by the side of the road and they were okay last week last week I was really tired in the afternoon. I've really throttled my coffee intake, so I'm only drinking about three cups, you know, one mug of coffee in the morning. And so in the afternoon I was tired and I thought, I'm going to go to Starbucks. I need a pick me-up to do about 50 emails. So I, I got my coffee and I was there at Coles uh, Drive to turn right to head back to Nicholasville and there was a lady in a giant Cadillac Escalade that had come up U.S. 27, and she was turning left into Coles. and as she's there behind the wheel, I can see her, and I can see this just huge vroom, 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 60 miles an hour, and she just didn't see him, and she starts making the turn, and I'm grab my steering wheel, and I'm shouting like she can hear me, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. And in that moment, it was like the Keystone Cops. Everybody's one person was like a foot off my bumper because I could see him coming right at me, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, here I come. <laughs> and, and, and everybody made it. It was like right out of Doctor Who everybody lived it was a miracle like all the screeching and everything and i look at we we catch eyes and in that moment i'm like you just were given a gift of life as was i and you know then she made the turn and i've been doing a journal these days and and in the morning i have to have three things i'm grateful for well the next morning i am living number two i am alive (laughs) number three i am here okay I didn't have to have work really hard at being grateful. Well, that wasn't true. That wasn't true a month ago. On one of my days to the lake office, um, I happened to cross a wreck, and it was a bad, bad wreck. Um, these are the guys that manned the UK air flight helicopter that had to come out and take one of the people to the hospital. Apparently, one of the cars, one of the two cars, for whatever reason, crossed the median and bam, head on. And and they had the whole tape and they were going to reconstruct the accident. Um, Some of you that have teenagers right now are like, thank you, Max, that I came to church today. I was already panicked about them getting their permit and now they clinch it. I'm not ever letting them drive. But look, right? If you drive, you know driving is dangerous. It's dangerous out there. When I was young, I believed that if I was behind the wheel... I would be okay because I would be ready. I would swerve. I would adjust. I would anticipate. And in my 20s, I wouldn't let Jenny drive anywhere. I had to be the one to drive. You know what that's called? There's a word for it. Control freak. That's exactly right. Now, some of you have that issue just like me. Some of you have someone in your life that is a control freak. You may be sitting next to them. I just want to remind you this is a judgment free zone. No nodding, no poking, no pointing at the preacher and mouthing. Listen to him, okay? Just because I'm talking about their issue today. So, I can't, we, ta- we talked a little bit about control in our Fears series this fall. But I have to come back to it today because faith and control work in opposite directions. And if you want to have a rich and satisfying life with God, you got to have faith. And faith works in the opposite direction as control. Um, So here's what I want you to know this morning. Fear drives control. That's why we talked about it last fall, okay? Fear drives control. Um, our world is marked by chaos, ugliness, and scarcity, and that makes us afraid. So we try to mitigate our fears by exerting control. Um, when I was an executive pastor, I had three youth pastors in a row, boom, 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 and all three of them came in to me to talk to me about how the senior pastor was a micromanager. And I was like, what is going on? Because I wasn't micromanaged in my area. And I thought, well, this is crazy. And, and all, boom, they all had, you need to talk to the senior pastor. And so that was part of my job as the executive pastor. So I remember going in and sitting down with him. And I outlined, you know, after the second youth pastor, I said, you know, hey, this is what the guys are telling me. Like, you know, what's going on? And this is what I got. Fear. Oh, If they throttle things down over the summer, kids will stop coming and they won't come back in the fall. And you know, a lot of these parents don't do anything at home and they don't talk about faith at home and this is the only stuff, the gospel stuff they're getting. And he was afraid and fear was driving this, you know, and so he, for his youth pastors would be like, okay, you're going to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you're going to do it exactly this way. Now, if you've worked for someone who's a control freak, you know how fun that can be and how it just blossoms creativity, and everyone flourishes, and no, it doesn't work out that way at all, okay? I get this because I parent teenagers. If you parent teenagers and toddlers, you're constantly having to face fear. With a toddler, it's, don't cross the road. With a teenager, it's like, Please don't have sex or get into a relationship that's going to mess up your life, you know. And so it's fear drives things, okay? And I have a lot of friends who are parenting teenagers right now, and they think control is the way to go. So they'll throttle media. They'll control the kid activities, and they'll, and they'll try and micromanage, in a sense, their kids. But here's what I found. Its attempts to control a 16-, 17-, 18-year-old generally fail, they just, <laughs> they just generally fail. It doesn't work. Um, and, and so I want to... Sky jeffany has, has, has written a book, With, which is where I'm taking the major ideas in this series. But if I could draw out what control looks like, I really lost my cap, it would be this, okay? So we have danger in the world, all right? I just talked about driving, right? You know driving is dangerous. And so that leads us to be afraid we have fear oh my goodness i could get hit there are people who are distracted so i know what i'll do i'll be the one driving i'll control the situation but that doesn't work (laughs) because sometimes you get into accidents and things that you weren't anticipating and so it becomes this endless cycle it becomes this endless cycle Um, and sky talks about this in his book Okay, danger leads to us being afraid, and because we're afraid, we try and control, and it ends up making things worse. Um, by the way, the, the God filters that we've been talking about all have an aspect of control to them. When you're trying, when you're living life under God, you're really trying to control God by your obedience. All right, God. I've prayed every day, read my Bible, witnessed, I've done all the right things. We've got you surrounded by the word of God. Come out with your blessings up. (laughs) Right? Uh, Life over God. We think if I just do the five keys of godly parenting, my kids will turn out perfect. If I just follow these three steps of financial freedom, it will work flawlessly. And so we rely on these principles and we're trying to control the world around us. Life from God is rooted in this belief of scarcity. You know, God, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, I need you to give me this, I need you to give me that. The genie part is related to something in your heart where you really believe you're not gonna have enough. Uh, Life for God, we're trying to control what God thinks of us by getting on his good side, by doing all the right, by, by being the faithful, obedient servant. None of these methods, by the way, produce peace in our lives, none of them. That's because control is really an illusion. Uh, Melody Beatty had it right. Control is an illusion. It's an illusion. You don't really control anything anytime, which is why time and time again in the Bible we're implored to have faith. We're admonished to have faith. Through the lives of people like Abraham, Moses, David, and yes, even Jesus, we're implored to put our trust in God and not in ourselves and what we can control. And we're invited in the Bible to have a rich and satisfying life with God. But life with God requires us to have faith. And if I could draw that out, you got to take a detour Faith, safety, well, I'm not even drawing right. You got to take a detour out of this cycle and you've got to start off with an off-ramp of faith, okay? Um, He draws it better, right? So we surrender, we get safety, uh, and that encourages our faith. And by the way, this safety does not mean you're going to not get cancer, that you're not going to have a relationship that fails, that a house isn't going to drop on you, right? (laughs) These things happen. But when we surrender, we find that because we can't control anything anyway, because God is God and we're not, there's safety in a life with God because God holds our future. God holds the outcome. And with God, we know that He will work out all things. We don't know how, And so that encourages our faith. So I want to talk about this a little bit, and I want to unpack it. Uh, And if I have a bottom line today, it's this. Faith is the opposite of control, okay? Faith and control work in opposite directions. It's the opposite of control. Faith is surrendering control. I want to look at three passages today that draw out this life of faith. Um, and And all three of them have to do with the same thing sheep and shepherds right if there's a metaphor in the bible that talks about a life of faith it's sheep and shepherds so you guys are smart people if in the bible the bible is talking about a shepherd the shepherd would be who god jesus and if the bible is talking about sheep who are the sheep we are the sheep that's right okay you are smart people good for you all right the first passage is john chapter 10. Jesus is talking about shepherds and sheep. And uh, he's giving this teaching uh, at the end of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah was a time when the priests would kind of evaluate their service in light of Ezekiel 34. And, and that's the next passage we'll look at. But, so Jesus is giving this teaching and he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks Over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they'll run from him because they don't know his voice. A shepherd leads, a butcher drives. There's a difference, okay? A shepherd leads, a butcher drives. And the sheep know their shepherd's voice because they're in relationship with the shepherd. If you study how people shepherded sheep in the first century or 500 B.C. or even 500 A.D., it didn't change much. It was a little flock. The shepherd and the sheep were in a daily relationship. They knew each other. Shepherds have particular calls, and all of them are different. And the sheep know, they hear that call, they know the shepherd's voice, and they get in line and follow. It's the weirdest thing. It's like watching Daniel Pike call his cows. He has a call, and all the cows come running, and you're like, how did you do that? Okay? It's how it works. So Jesus unpacks this, and he says this in verses 6 and following. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They'll come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Good pastures, good pastures here is a rich and satisfying life. By day, Jesus is leading his flock to pasture, food, water. By night, Jesus is protecting his flock. Jesus is saying, I'm a good shepherd. You can trust me. You can entrust your life to me because I will take care of you. And he's echoing what we read about in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 4, the prophet makes this prediction and he makes this condemnation. He says this, Then this message came to me from the Lord Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking out for those who've wandered away and are lost. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So, my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they're easy prey for any wild animal. They've wandered through the mountains and the hills and on the face of the earth, and yet no one has gone to search for them. Bad shepherds feed themselves, they neglect the weak and sick, they ignore the lost, but not Jesus. He's a good shepherd. Verse 7 and following, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord your God. Or verse 11, my bad. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I'll find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I'll bring them home to their own land from among the peoples and nations. I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them, look at that again, again. Good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they'll lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away. I'll bring them safely home again. I'll bandage the injured uh, and, and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I'll feed them, yes, feed them justice. So again, in this metaphor, we are What? you got to remember that, okay? We're sheep. Sheep don't have the sense to come in from the rain. Sheep uh, uh, can get separated from the flock and, and become prey from predators. Sheep need a shepherd just to make it to the next day. In 2005, I told, I've told you this story before. In 2005, a group of shepherds, they had a mega flock. They had corralled everybody's individual little herds into this giant mega herd of 1,500 sheep. And the guys that were in charge decided that they hadn't had a hot breakfast with Chai in a long time, and so they decided to go in town and grab breakfast. The sheep wandered off a cliff, and the other sheep followed those sheep, and those sheep followed those sheep, and the first 450 of them that went off the cliff died. It created a fluff ball that the other 1,100 who went off the cliff, too, survived. Okay? That's sheep. Okay? That's what sheep do. Sheep need a shepherd. You and I need a shepherd. And, and this is what it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Uh, bringing honor to his name, even when I walk through the darkest valley i won 't be afraid for you 're close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. I used to read the psalm all the time and as a human. But again, if god 's the shepherd, what am I? i 'm a sheep. Did you know that shepherds will mix together oil, sulfur, and spices? And they'll put it on the foreheads of their sheep. It does two things. It, it, it provides a balm from nose flies. So it's a remedy for nose flies that bother the sheep. And sheep are constantly rubbing each other's heads and it can get all scabby. So there's a very practical thing. I always read this passage and I thought, oh, anointing me like anointed David. I'm a king. This is awesome, right? I'm anointed. Oh, I'm a sheep. I'm a, if the Lord's my shepherd, then I'm a sheep, and he's doing what shepherds do. Tim Keller says that sheep won't even lie down until they're free from fear, troublemakers, hunger, thirst, and active harassments. Gang, we tend to forget that God is actually with us. We tend to forget that God is actually with us. We go through life as if we're on our own. We do things in our own strength, getting the results that that can produce, and we forget Easter morning, the good shepherd laid down his life for us, and he took it back up, and if he can defeat death itself, which in the end robs us of everything, can't he also remedy all the other things that we worry about? And yet, we forget that God is with us. I'm convinced it's God's presence with us that removes our fear. So again, in Scripture, who's the shepherd? God. And who are the sheep? Us. Okay, we are. Let me ask this question, a few questions in light of these passages about faith vis-a-vis sheep and shepherds. Have you come to a place in your life where you recognize that control is an illusion? Have you gotten to a point in your life where you've been like, you know, okay, uncle, yes. I try to control things and... I can control some things, but control doesn't take me where ultimately I want to go. Have you gotten to that point yet? Um, in what ways do you seek control over unpredictable things in your life? Um, I can tell you as a pastor, I'll sit down with a couple. The couple says to me, We're going to divorceville. We're going to splitsville. Sorry, Max. Sorry for the kids. Sorry for everybody. And I'll come home and I'll. Straighten my kitchen and clean things and Jenny will know. (laughs) Something has happened today that Max cannot control the outcome. And I can't. You know what? In however 20-some years of ministry, I cannot make a husband and a wife love each other. I cannot make them do the things that husbands and wives should do to stay together. I can't prevent one spouse from cheating on another. I I cannot control those things. Kids, you can't control your parents, by the way. (laughs) Okay? It works both ways right? So in what ways do you seek control over unpredictable things in your life? And as you think back to this past week, if you had fully trusted that God was with you, what might you have done differently? And what risks might you have taken? Again, this has been a tough series because we're talking about ways of thinking for application, but I want to suggest some things. Uh, the first step is, okay, for you control freaks, you need to understand the line between helpful and control, right? And, and here's the list from Margaret, Margaret Feinberg. Do you have a hard time delegating a project to other people? Do you go to the mat to show someone that you're right, even when it's trivial? Do you have a low patience for someone who doesn't get to the point in a conversation and you find yourself, the hands go like this, right? Okay, <laughs> oh, I'm just stretching, okay do you feel anxious when someone suggests something different from what you've planned in the day or evening do people think of you as stubborn or inflexible so that's those are kind of a you know evaluative test there all right the second thing that you and i can do is name our fears but combat them with scripture Uh, jesus when he's tempted right he comes back at the devil with scripture when i know who i am and i'm I'm, I'm out loud. I am a child of God. I'm adopted into God's family. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. When, I'm, when these scriptures are at my tongue and coming out of my mouth, it com- it, it's a way for reality to take root in me, okay? And then lastly, determine if you engage in distorted, freak, uh, distorted thinking. Us, for those of us that struggle with control issues, right, uh, we, have a, uh, we have an easy time ca- catastrophizing everything. So for us, if we don't turn in a paper, we're going to fail out of school. For us, if we have a bad day at work, they're going to fire us, and then we're going to lose our home and be homeless. We always go to the worst-case scenario, okay? Control freaks tend to do that, all right? Jesus says this in John. He says... Um, and it's John 10, it's, it's toward the end of this passage we were just in, verses, what is it, 27 and following. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. You know, that eternal life that belongs to you is not just a future thing, it's already begun. That eternal life, it's now and coming, okay? And so you can trust God for everything. You can trust Him with your identity, you can trust Him for the relationships in your life, you can trust Him with your future. You need to have a little bit of that. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't lose your house that you won't have a relationship go sour that you won't experience hardship but it does mean that you have a future with god one that's already underway and jesus is right no one can snatch you from your father's hand no one is more powerful than god himself we could learn something from our coptic brothers and sisters okay when it comes to faith when it comes to trust uh, just this week, a busload of them were killed, all right? And Christianity has been rooted in Egypt since the first century. It's been there all along. And yet, they've been a distinct minority, a persecuted minority. Um, A few weeks, uh, maybe it's been a couple of months, uh, there was another attack, and and, uh, another group of Christians died at the hands of um, uh, terrorists. And They were interviewing, this was live on the air in Egyptian TV, and the family is there. um, And the, the mom of one of the victims makes this statement. And this is what the Egyptian news anchor, after 12 seconds of silence, he didn't know what to say. He was stunned. He says this, the cops are made of steel. Why did he say that? Because I'm not angry at the one who did this. Oh, it was his wife. Uh, Said his wife, children by our side. I'm telling him, may God forgive you and we also forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. You put my husband in a place I couldn't have dreamed of. Now, they don't even have the basic thing of safety right now in Egypt. If you're a Christian in Egypt, right? If you're going to a camp, if you're doing something, you don't know if you're gonna be pulled over and literally shot dead. We have the benefit in America of the illusion of control because we have medical care, because we live in relative safety in the suburbs, because, um, uh, because of all, uh, our relative affluence. You know, n- n- probably none of us in this room are going to wonder how, how, what we're going to eat for the next three days, right? But, but our Egyptian brothers and sisters, they believe, they're convinced that God is a good shepherd and they trust God we could learn something from them, which brings me back to where I started, car accidents. Our reaction to car accidents speaks to the fact that we're trying to control so much and we live under this illusion of control. Uh, You have a family member or a friend who's in a car accident, it jars you. What? Because all of a sudden you're confronted with the fact that there are some things that you can't control. we can surrender, we can trust the good shepherd, we can know and experience the reality that God is with us, and because of that, we can have confidence, just like our brothers and sisters in Egypt, that God will see us through.